The no good, very bad, utter disaster, worst campaign in modern history. It's the Ron DeSantis Hour. I'm Matt Robus, and this is Beyond Politics. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube, just delighted to be joined once again by Carter Krishnire, the proprietor of the Florida Squeeze, the must-read politics blog in Florida. It's like the national polls, folks. Don't go to the national polls. They're meaningless. You got to go state by state. You got to understand from the people who are living it on the ground, in the swamp, as it were. And Kardec is second to none when it comes to expertise on Florida. It's great to have you back. And I love your background here. You're really on brand, man. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Yeah, this is very Florida background. Very Florida. You can hear the gators creeping in the background, right? Jeez, you look like you're coming to me from the middle of the Dorian Gap in like Central America. I teased there. Actually, I teased your tease, which was you led on the Florida squeeze this morning with your link to Chris Saliza's analysis of the Ron DeSantis campaign so far. And it's not been going great. And Chris Eliza sums it up by saying, if the campaign ended today, it would go down as one of the worst we have seen in modern memory. And that is saying something, hello, Scott Walker. Gardick, <laughs> is that how you see it? Yeah, at this point, he's in Scott Walker territory. He's in John Connolly territory. If you want to go further back, 1980, I'm sure I can think of a few is, others. Is he in Hindenburg, Hindenburg blimp territory, I guess is the... He's getting there. And that's really what Scott Walker was. Because remember, we went into 2012 and 2016 on the Republican side thinking, the Republicans went into those cycles thinking Scott Walker had redefined conservatism. He had busted the unions in Wisconsin. He had then survived a recall and he had gotten reelected somehow. Uh, it, by the way, both of Walker's wins were in heavy Republican years. Let's keep that in mind in 2010 and 2014. And when he came to the national stage, he just didn't have it. Although I think he probably looks good in comparison to DeSantis, quite frankly, at this point. I would say so. Uh, let me, I'm going to go a little deeper on this, but let me hit you with the critical question of the hour, which is Ron DeSantis, as well as any analyst, as any journalist out there, why does Ron DeSantis love slavery so much? He is someone whose entire political mantra is about divisiveness and dividing people, partly because he's the most pay-to-play politician I've ever seen. And we're I'm saying this after we had four years of Donald Trump as president, right? <laughs> I'm saying this after we've had numerous scandals in the George W. Bush administration and in, in various Republican administrations in this state and in other states. Near, I'm saying this after we went through Rod Blagojevich in, in Illinois. So he is someone that always has to project so that you don't look inside his closet and so mm. that people are not inspecting his closet. Now, in terms of the slavery issue and race in general and all of his cultural flashpoint issues, I think DeSantis comes from this very national review, quite frankly, William F. Buckley place in terms of the founding of this nation and this sort of right-wing idealism. We see it with the Federalist Society all the time. He is a Federalist Society product. Uh, you have to somehow justify the sins of American history. So basically, you whitewash those sins. And in fact, in terms of Florida history, I've just written a book about colonial Florida history, which- What is I, the name of your book? 
it's Florida and the British before the American Revolution. You can get it on Amazon, shameless plug. I was inspired to write the book because DeSantis so fundamentally misunderstands our state's history. He's actually the guy that inspired me to write this and dig into our colonial history because there were numerous contributions from African-Americans and Native Americans and Catholics in Florida. DeSantis happens to be Catholic. Catholics in Florida who didn't want to side with the American patriots. Therefore, Florida stayed loyal to the British crown. All of these sorts of things that he doesn't want to talk about don't fit in his narrative of history. And in terms of the slavery thing, I don't know. He had an out. He actually handled the question, the first part of the question from the CNN reporter uh, properly, if you're trying to distance yourself, which was the State Board of Education, they're independent, they create their own standards. Okay, throw it on them. Then he bursts and says, it's really justified because of this, which was so insane because he actually had formulated, maybe his comms team had done a good job this time and it formulated an out for him. And he's too undisciplined and too arrogant, right? So entitled and so arrogant that he then has to self-justify, even though he had an out that he had articulated that it wasn't him, it was the State Board of Education. Look, I think if you are someone who, as we've demonstrated in all of our conversations around Ron DeSantis, you have to construct an ego bubble around yourself that so that you never suffer any slights, you never have anything that might prick your self-esteem. So you screen potential dates, potential girlfriends by mispronouncing Thai food as thigh food so that you see if they correct you. If they have the temerity to point out that you might have mispronounced something, they're right out of there because you don't want that. And you have to live in the same kind of media bubble as well. And standard issue questions that you ask any politician seem to enrage and baffle him then this is eventually going to happen to you. You are going to train yourself to not be able to deal with just basic politics questions. And, you know, you're not going to be able to, I mean, look, I was just making fun of former U.S. Senator Kelly Ayotte as, you know, her name translates from the original French as repeats talking points phonetically. All Ron DeSantis has to do is repeat talking points phonetically. Okay. That's all you have to do. You have a massive campaign war chest. You're a robot. Just act like a robot, man. That's all you have to do. Politico's lead this morning was basically their bafflement. They don't understand what he's doing. They understand like why he's doing what he's doing, but they don't understand the strategy here. And they point out two fights that he's picked. One was after Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said that, I'm not even gonna repeat what he said. It's so offensive. It's so offensive, I'm not gonna repeat it. He's an anti-Semite, he's a bigot. He's, he, anyway, he has no place in public life in America. And Ron DeSantis is like, I would consider appointing him to the FDA or CDC if I'm president. So that's number one, okay? There, there you go. And I guess Politico's point was like, all right, he's trying to own the libs. He's just trying to enrage <laughs> to talk about him. Mission accomplished, dude. And then number two was he actually unloaded on Byron Donalds, a Trump endorser and the only black Republican in Florida's congressional delegation for questioning, hey, maybe Florida's slavery teaching standards, maybe we should take out the bit where we say that slavery was actually good for the enslaved people. Maybe that's not such a good idea. And Ron DeSantis unloaded on Byron Donalds and that created a kerfuffle. Let me ask you this, Politico's question. Does the DeSantis camp think that either of these fights offer the campaign? Does it bring them closer to winning the voters they need? They ask, what exactly is the strategy here? I'm going to ask you, Kardik, is there a strategy here or is this all just like random anti-woke brain farts from a moron? 
Yeah, that, that's a lot of it because the Donalds thing is really illustrative. So Donalds is a guy that has his connections to DeSantis. He served in the Florida legislature. He, his wife was appointed by DeSantis to a state position, but he endorsed Trump very early on, as did most of the Florida delegation, most of the Florida Republicans. Another one is Greg Stubbe, who served with DeSantis in Congress, who went after DeSantis last week on property insurance and said, look, even though that's a famous talking point of mine, it's the property insurance crisis, you've got Trump endorsed now. You have Trump himself talking about it because, of course, he owns property in Florida. But DeSantis is fiddling while Florida burns. And he seems to think the only one he's in this kind of defensive shell, as we talked about, hypersensitive. So the Donald's thing is illustrative. Okay, Donald's is a Trump endorser. He's coming after me. I'm going to bury the guy, not even engaging him on the subject. And as you put it, he's the one black Republican congressman we have. And he's saying slavery really wasn't good for our people. DeSantis doesn't want to address that. And then you have this issue where DeSantis is surrounded by a team of elites. I can't stress this enough. A team of kind of federalist society elites. He doesn't trust pollsters. He doesn't trust political consultants. He doesn't trust people who've done this for a living over the course of decades in his own party. That's why those people have all gone to Trump, even though Trump is famously impulsive and not really valuing expertise, Trump will at least listen to some of these people or at least won't show total contempt to them internally. And so he gets his advice from a small circle of people, all of whom are hung up on these woke issues. They're elites who think that, oh, working class voters, they're really concerned about trans issues. Working class voters, they're really concerned about woke textbooks, even though and some of these people that they're targeting might be mildly racist, right? They were all Trump supporters, but that's not really the stuff that drives them. You they sound like the Flight of the Concords bit. Of his, just a little bit racist. Yeah. No, they might be mildly racist, but they're not. That's not the only issue they think about. They're not thinking about woke and trans 24-7. DeSantis seems to think every that political identity is completely determined by race and ethnicity or gender. Or what do you call it? By whether you're gay or straight. And he's gone into this just this vortex of stuff that we've never seen in American politics since George Wallace. Someone who's running a national campaign exclusively based on on gender and ethnicity and all of these sorts of things that are hyper divisive. Even the candidates like Reagan and Trump that and Nixon that pushed racial buttons, they, there was other substance to their campaigns. And then you mentioned anti-Semitism earlier. We have a huge anti-Semitism problem in Florida, which ironically enough, not ironically enough, I should say, has emerged while he's been governor. I, I, we've had Republican governors for almost 30 years in this state, and I don't think any of them were particularly good on, on, these, on, on the issues, but we, there has not been a feeling among anti-Semites that they're empowered or they're protected and that they can come out in the open until Ron DeSantis became governor of this state. It's just a mess down here, and that stuff may have worked for him against a weak Florida Democratic Party. It's clearly not working for him against a stronger national, I should have said Florida Democratic Party. It's not working for him against a stronger national Democratic Party, nor is it working in a Republican primary where in states outside of Florida, people are concerned about issues other than race and vaccines. They're concerned about economic issues, which I think Trump is terrible on the economy, but at least he has an ability to articulate an economic message. DeSantis doesn't have the ability to articulate an economic message. And I'll conclude on this, Matt, because he is so pay to play. He is so driven by his donors. There is not a single 
ounce of independence he can express from his donors, which are all big money, hedge fund, investment bankers, corporate types. And that's also where kind of the woke obsession comes in. People like Elon Musk and Peter Thiel that have connections to him, David Sachs, right? They're obsessed with those issues. So therefore, DeSantis is obsessed with those issues. He does not have the ability to connect with working class voters in any way, shape, or form. And I think Trump at some point will just crush this guy in the GOP primaries. I guess it's happening already, but I think he'll just destroy him. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. A lot in what you said there. And what I find baffling as a Jewish dude is you would think that if any of the stereotypes are true among Ron DeSantis's major funders, if he's so paid to play and so responsive to donor interest, there might be a few Jews in there. There might be some. <laughs> right. Florida has many things. It has swamps. It has flying cockroaches. It has Republican politicians. One of those things is different. The other two are redundant. And you would think that among those things that Florida has is Jewish people and that he might want to appeal to that constituency. And so I find that a little baffling. What I do not find baffling is this pattern that we're seeing in American life in the last eight years. It started with Donald Trump, where a successful, bigoted politician seems to give a mental permission structure for closet bigots to come out of the closet. And the very first piece of evidence about this was when the Daily Stormer, which is the periodical, the daily journal, I don't know what the heck you call it, for the American fascist party, endorsed Donald Trump. And then on the night of his election, there was that insane video of Richard Spencer and his other incel white boy, proud boy, whatever they call themselves, giving the Sig Heil salute to Donald Trump. But he said, our boys were just a little enthusiastic. We just got a little carried away. Oh, oh really? The election of Donald Trump, that's your reaction to it. We should interrogate that a little bit. And this pro-slavery curriculum from Ron DeSantis and the Florida Republicans, it's very interesting. It's very interesting how Greg Gutfield went on Fox News and somehow two minutes later, let me tell you something from a Jewish perspective. We've seen this movie before, okay? We've lived through this over thousands of years. Every time the permission structure is given in a society, it's, hey, we can start to pick on minorities. The Jews think to ourselves, oh boy, here it comes. And lo and behold, there it came on Fox News. It's in the concentration camps. There were actually, I, I just, that's the part that I don't find surprising because it happens over and freaking over again. Okay, that rant connects to something that I wanted to get to that you said to me right before we got on the air, which is, believe it or not, what you're seeing, what your sources are telling you is that Ron DeSantis, if he becomes the nominee, might actually undo progress that Donald Trump made with minority voters in the U.S. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm hearing from sources on the Republican side who have worked in minority communities because we know there were, and I think we could get into the sociological factors for this. We know there were black men who had voted for Barack Obama twice, who switched to Donald Trump twice, and that Trump's percentage of the overall African-American vote was higher than Romney's had been or McCain's or W actually in, in, in his winning races and, and certainly Dole and his dad. Trump had made progress with that group and they're telling me DeSantis will not only lose those people, he probably will lose black Republicans also, because he is seen 
in the African American community as singularly racist. They could use, they could find ways to project and justify Trump's racism. Oh, he's talking about immigrants. Or he he likes us because he's worked with us in whatever industry and in entertainment. So they would always find these justifications for why they back Trump. But there are none for DeSantis. And you're looking at a candidate that likely would get in the low single digits nationally of the African-American vote if he were the Republican nominee. So they're terrified of that. Now, among Hispanic voters, I think obviously Trump made huge gains. I think that may not be as pronounced because of DeSantis's strongman routine, which they like. But at the same time, DeSantis seems more obsessed with immigrants than Trump. I don't know how this is possible, right? Trump was the worst candidate in our lifetime on kind of racial dog whistle issues. The worst candidate since George Wallace that was on a national ticket. And George Wallace was on an independent ticket, but he still was in a general election. And I, I'm telling you, DeSantis is much worse. DeSantis is obsessed with immigration and this idea of, of flying immigrants from the Texas-Mexican border to Massachusetts and various places has been seen as cruel by even mainstream Hispanics who may have backed Trump. And then in, in addition, he's, he, he had that ad, that infamous ad, which had Nazi imagery, which was put together by one of his staffers, apparently, the, the very infamous Nate Hockman, who's known to us, who have, who, that have read the National Review. Somehow, the most right-wing racist National Review writer ended up on DeSantis's staff. Go figure. Yeah, I think it, it would be a stretch for them to say, we did not see that coming. See what I did? Knowing Hawk, Hawkman's views. Yeah. So oh, he had this... I'm just, I'm amazed that this hammer treated everything like a nail. Yeah, and so the ad was actually an ad attacking Trump on being too soft on immigration. And DeSantis, he, he's mean. He's tough. He's going he's gonna to dehumanize the immigrants. And here's a Nazi image to prove it. And this is the sort of stuff he's producing. We have to talk about his ad, his anti, anti-gay ad, his homophobic ad that, was, uh, that went viral in Iowa a month ago. And that mysterious mail piece attacking Trump for being a champion of gay marriage that was sent out by a third party group in Iowa. I, I don't think, and let's just say this is circa 1996 GOP and they're obsessed with gay marriage. Yeah, Trump probably does have a problem on that issue because I guess he had come around like everyone else to the consensus that maybe they'll be homophobic in other areas, but gay marriage is fine. Trump, excuse me, DeSantis clearly is of that circa mid-90s GOP view, but I don't think Republican primary voters are there anymore. I don't think they care about gay marriage. I don't think they care about LGBTQ plus issues. Sure, there's a small percentage that does. And those people are the 10% or whatever that are supporting DeSantis already. So why he feels he has to double down on that is, is beyond me. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. That's, I mean, that really does circle back to the question of, is there a strategy here? And it seems like up till now, and... Uh, who knows, right? Who knows? I might be overcorrelating, but you take the fact that they put out that homophobic video. You take the fact that he he's doubled down on this. Maybe slavery wasn't all bad line, which is just. <laughs> and then you have this this tweeting out the video with imagery. The point is, if I were to try really hard to come up with a strategy thought behind this, it's like we're not going to get outflanked on the right. We are going to go deep into the swamp, the cellar of MAGA world, deep into the lizard brain of the Trump voter. And we are not going to get out-Trumped by these people. And the only way to beat Trump is to out-Trump him 
and hope that he begins to fall under the weight of indictments or familiarity. I don't know. That, I would think, would be some kind of a strategy here. But then you got this reason. Oh, go. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's really telling to me that Trump is not engaging. I thought when he put out that anti-gay, that homophobic ad, Trump was going to say, look, oh, I've changed my mind. I'm no longer for gay marriage. I no longer care about trans, all that stuff. No, he didn't. Trump just said, you know, whatever, I'm going to ignore this idiot. And then same thing on the immigration thing. So that either registers that Trump has some advisors who are telling him he has to run more of a general election campaign, which is scary for us because I don't want Trump looking more moderate than he is. He's a fascist. I don't want him looking more moderate, but in comparison to DeSantis, he absolutely looks, he actually looks liberal compared to DeSantis. But it also may be an indication DeSantis isn't able to rile Trump up anymore because Trump just thinks he's irrelevant. And there's, of course, the well-known rule in politics, which is if your opponent is hanging himself, feed him rope. And so you see the Biden White House has been awfully quiet about all these indictments that Donald Trump has gotten, which is, we have nothing to say here. This is going swimmingly. So we'll just, we'll stay out of it. So I want to talk about the reboot, the reset, the like, they need, they need, what's his name who did the Star Trek reboot and the Star Wars reboot. What's the director's the, name? The director's name is escaping. Who, bring in to do all the reboots. It's like Ron DeSantis decided to do a reboot. Okay. It was like two weeks ago and there, the headlines were Ron DeSantis was firing about a dozen staffers. He was massively overspending. He had a very bloated operation. He had something like 92, 96 staffers. And so he fired about a dozen of them. And it's like, this is it. Now we're getting the course correction. It's like infrastructure week in the Trump White House. This week, <laughs> finally, we pivot. Okay. And here we are almost two weeks later, and he's still rebooting. And now the story is that he's fired almost 40 people. And he's really serious this time. He's really rebooting. So the question that, again, I'm going to lean on our friends at Politico here, they ran through, we have seen examples of this working. It worked for John McCain in 2008. He slimmed down. He went down to brass tacks. He started hitting the town hall circuit in New Hampshire. He went super local. He just, he moved to New Hampshire. And look, I was a political operative in New Hampshire for many years. I was the chief of staff to a member of Congress there. I've run campaigns there and you can do it. It sucks, but it's terrain where you can do it. Here's the thing. I've seen Ron DeSantis try to do retail politics in New Hampshire. It's awful. It's really painful to watch. I don't know that Ron DeSantis has this in his DNA. So I guess my question to you, is there, given everything we know about Ron DeSantis, is there a reboot possible here? I don't think so. And in fact, to the specific issue of New Hampshire and Iowa, DeSantis initially felt like he was such a big national figure, right? And had such a national following that he could maybe take that Joe Biden strategy or Al Gore tried it in 88 and he almost won the nomination, right? Dukakis was nominated. Skip New Hampshire, skip Iowa, those states, the retail politics doesn't fit me. And then I get into a delegate war around Super Tuesday. There, I know where the delegates are. I can win the nomination that way. Now, you can't finish you can't finish in single digits in Iowa New Hampshire though that's the thing and he's on the precipice of doing that so he has to reboot i don't think new hampshire is a good state for him at all this is a guy with a terrible economic record he's bad at retail politics he's awkward i think his hope was that in iowa you have so many fanatical people i've talked before about Mike Huckabee winning Iowa and Pat Robertson finishing second in Iowa and Rick Santorum winning Iowa, right? The most radicalized of 
religious conservatives, maybe DeSantis has a lane against Trump there. But in New Hampshire, forget it. I think you're looking at Christie probably being competitive and maybe one or two other Republicans that fit that state a little better and can do retail politics better than him. He might finish fourth or fifth in New Hampshire. In terms of the reboot, we... We cannot, you cannot reboot a product that is fundamentally flawed. Any consumer specialist will tell you this. A movie producer will tell you this. If you have good subject material, you can, you can do, you can market it differently. You can reboot. DeSantis is a particularly flawed candidate. He's a particularly flawed governor. He doesn't have the personality to do this. He is not someone who trusts political consultants. So I don't know the 40 or 50 people he's fired. Most of them he wasn't listening to other than Nate Hockman, obviously. (laughs) That was his guy. Again, I think DeSantis's campaign, I should state this clearly. I think it was geared towards national review readers and people who watch select shows on Fox News who might be more elite. They might be wealthier. They might be just these horrible right-wing curmudgeons. Federalist society types went to Ivy League schools. That's not the base of MAGA world. MAGA world is a very kind of non-college educated, working class white who has a grievance against American society and found a champion in this rabble rouser, this demagogue, this, this fascist in Trump. But so many of those things are based on economic grievances. And that's something DeSantis just doesn't understand and he can't appeal to. So I I don't think the reboot will work. I don't know that he's a guy that can do one-on-one talks. I don't think he can do mainstream media. I think he's he's someone that has doesn't have the ability to take criticism. He's not someone who has the ability to even pivot on his feet. And once we get to that first debate, he's going to be terribly exposed. And I think they're all going to gang up on him if Trump's not right. on stage. That's the end of part one of my interview with Carter Krishnayer. But there's a lot more that we talked about in part two, including is there any chance for Ron DeSantis to reboot his campaign and stage a comeback? Also, what's up with the most under the radar Senate race in the country that you should probably be paying attention to right now? And why haven't we heard more about the stunning assault on voting rights that's happening in Florida? All of that is going to be in part two, which is coming out as an audio podcast. So please make sure that you've subscribed to Beyond Politics, wherever you get your audio pods. And we're going to put out the video on our Patreon page. The link for that is in the show notes for the audio pod and right here on the screen on the video. So if you like what we're doing, please consider coming over there and becoming a supporter. And we'll see you next time.